Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Paul goes from marriage to the family now in verses 1 through 4. Having explained the duty of the Christian husband and the Christian wife, Paul now turns to the Christian family, he turns to children and to fathers, but we're not going to, that does not exclude wives from exasperating or causing their children to anger in verse 4, which is basically our outline this morning, verses 1, 2, 3, uh, is children obey your parents, which comes from the moral command number 5 out of Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and then fathers do not exasperate or do not provoke your children to anger. And, uh, you know, I thought about taking about five, ten minutes of the introduction and, and talk about how, uh, what kind of bad condition the family is in and, you know, how bad it is. And I'm like, you know, we already know this. You know, so what we're going to do is we're going to hold up God's standard and feel guilty. I'm just kidding. That's, that was me all week. Uh, so we're going to hold up God's standard because the context is, is children and it's fathers. It's the Christian children. And the Christian father. I think he's maintaining that context without question here. So let's stand together and read our passage this morning. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. This is correct. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, very, very simple, and yet, dear God, very, very profound. This is, this is your will for our children. This is your will for us as parents, because your will for all of us together as a family is to honor and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Father, as we're looking at parenthood, as we're looking at children obeying their parents this morning, help us to do it in the broader context of being a child of God, being saved by grace, uh, being a representative of Christ in our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may sit down, of course. But our passage this morning, the first three verses, is going to be outline number one. It's really simple. And the second point of our outline is is verse 4, which is directed to fathers, but not to the exclusion of mothers. Let me make a few observations of verses 1, 2, and 3. And our first point this morning, children, obey your parents in the Lord. First of all, Paul has Christian children in mind. And as I said a moment ago, that's staying in context. This is not expectation so much of, of, of an unbeliever, of an unbelieving child in a family, but this is a child in a believer's home, a believer's child, a believing child, a faithful child. So this is a very important verse for our children when we are training them, okay, in our homes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Second of all, the imperative to obey is embedded in the moral command, command number five of the Ten Commandments, which Paul brings out. Verse two, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, okay? And then he explains in verse 3, so that may be well with you. If you want to have some quality of life, listen to your parents. Listen to their words. Listen to their wisdom. Not just quality of life, but if you don't want maybe your life to be cut short, you want to live a longer life, listen to your parents. Listen to what they have to tell you. Okay? 
So those are a couple of general observations, most likely, because children, he, he says this, children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, because if you, think of it this way, if you honor your parents in the home, then you're most likely going to honor other authorities in your life as well. Okay? That's what, what happens in the home. When you train your children to respect mother and father, to respect the authority that God has placed in their lives or in your life, a child's life, then you're also trained to respect other authorities that God has placed in their lives as well. So it extends outside the boundaries and the borders of your home. Respecting other authorities as well leads to quality and quantity of life. There's just a couple of general illustrations coming from verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's get more specific now. Looking at the first word, children, techna. It's the Greek word techna is used here. And it does not necessarily refer to, to young children, but more generally children in general, I should say. Okay? In other words, it's not just talking to younger children. Is talking to a child. Think of it like this. If you're under the roof of your parents, whether you're 18, 15, 10, or 2, or anywhere like that, even 20, 21, 22, 23, these days, this applies to you. You're under their authority. If you have not left, if you have not left and cleaved, and, and you're still under their authority. So don't think that this command, one minute, just applies to really small children. So if you've got teenagers in your home, you got an 18-year-old in your home. This still applies, okay? This still applies. They're still dependent on you, okay? And they're still under your roof. Then this applies. And, and so when you look at the word children, the Greek techna, it means more than just a small child. It's a general reference to children. It's a, it's a reference to children in general who, regardless of age, live under their parents' roof. So they are still responsible uh, before the Lord to obey them. Let's look at the next key word, the very next word actually, obey. Obey. It means to listen. To listen with intent. It's not just, I hear you. How many times you talk to your children and they go, oh, I hear you. Or I'm listening, I'm listening. And you look at it and go, no, you're not. Are you kidding me? You know they're really not taking it to heart. This word obey means to take it to heart because you listen with the intent to act upon what you're hearing. Okay. We'll make application of that later on in the sermon. It means to literally to, to hear under, to listen with attentiveness in order to respond positively to what you've heard. So you really know if the child is listening and hearing and obeying if they follow through with the words that you give them. Does that make sense? That's the intent here. Actually, that's the intent of child training regardless of the age. In other words, to put yourself under your parents' authority is to put yourself under their words. Write that down. To put yourself under your parents' authority is to place or to put yourself under their words. Now, let me give you some Proverbs for this. Okay? I'll just read a few of them. For example, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. What about Proverbs 3, 1? My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Notice the engagement or the parallelism between what goes on in the mind and the heart. Okay, What, what do you mean by this? 
When you're training your children, or children when you're responding to your parents, it is not just you respond intellectually, it's you respond from the heart. Does that make sense? In other words, parents, I'm going to be going back and forth between parents and children. When you are training and instructing your children, you just don't want them to do what you want them to do. You want them to do it with the right heart attitude. So you're always aiming at the heart. Here's another one. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, the instruction of the Father. Give attention that you may gain understanding. I would encourage, as you're instructing your child, I would encourage them to ask questions about what you're talking to them about. Not just get me the first time I'm talking. And it's really hard to do in the heat of the moment. Because a lot of times you're making correction. And a lot of times in correction, the moment's a little tense. Right? Give them that opportunity to clarify. Can you, you know... Be clear. Allow them to ask a question or two, and that engagement would go a long way so that there is no mistake of what you're asking, what you're desiring, what you're wanting when they walk away from you. How many times your child come back to you, well, I thought you meant this, I thought you said this. I can't count how many times I've heard that in my house, and I'm sure my own mother can't count that high either that I've done it to her growing up. Verse 2, for I give you sound teaching, do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, I like verse 3, Proverbs 4, 3, is the parent's excuse with their children to say, well, when I was young, <laughs> get it? You ever said that? Oh, come on. And they're like, oh, here we go again. Okay. Listen to this. When I was a son to my father, i.e., when I was young, okay, tender and the only son on the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Notice the imagery of that. Let my heart Hold fast those words. Keep my commandments and live. Wow. Verse 24. This is chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. I love that. So you get the idea. Proverbs is... Here, here's this. When your children reach reading age, when they, get, when they begin to reason, I think 4, 5, and 6... You know the book of the Bible that God gives you for training your children? It's Proverbs. That's, that's God's training manual that he has given parents for their children. I would I would read it over and over and over again in their lives. Have them read through it. Discuss it. Okay? Proverbs is really a, a manual for not just teenagers, but preteens and 8, 9, and 10. Just going over it with them. Over and over and over again. Full of Warnings and admonitions and exhortations. So back in Ephesians chapter 6, we see that obedience parallels honor, which is in verse 2. Verse 1 says, children, obey your parents. And then he pulls out the command, honor your father and mother. Obedience, think of it this way, two sides of the same coin. Obedience is the action, honor is the attitude. Obedience is the action. It's actually doing what they say, but, but honoring them is doing it with the right attitude, out of respect. When you honor something, the Greek word means you, you value them. You're sure, when, when, you're walk, when your parent tells you something, or your, your kids listen to you, and their bodies go in one direction, is going the direction to go, like, for example, if you tell Ava, that's okay, my granddaughter, if you tell her to go clean her room, and her body's going that direction, but you can see her demeanor is just full of anger at you, don't let that child for one second think that they are obeying you. 
God is not out for obedience without the honor. It's honoring obedience. Does that make sense? They're, they're not bad. They're just going to do it for the sake of doing it, but they're doing it with the wrong attitude. That is not the obedience the Scripture talks about here. Nor does God want that kind of obedience from us, being His children. Okay? Even if they've married and left, they will always have a sense and desire to honor their parents by caring for them, being there for them, being available, so on and so forth. I wrote that down because being a, you never stop being someone's child, do you? No matter how old you are, no matter, you know, if your parents are still alive, you still honor them. But I want you to focus on a phrase that I believe is the most important in this verse, in these verses, and it's really the end of verse 1. Or excuse me, in the middle of verse 1, obey your parents in the Lord. We often skip over those little phrases, like in the Lord, okay, it's in the Lord, let's go on. I want to dwell on that for a minute. I want to dwell on that, because it's, you, you know, like, it's dative of reference. In other words, this is what that means, in the Greek, when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, it's in reference to Christ. You don't want your children just obeying you for the sake of obeying you. They need to understand that you are nothing more than a representative to them of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate head of your home and of you. So when Paul says, in the Lord, this is if it, take in the Lord out and you just have average parenting. Unbelievers can parent that way. But we do it in reference to Christ. And that's why Paul has this phrase here. Okay? He puts the command to obey your parents in the sphere of the realm of pleasing Christ. Ultimately, you want your children to obey you because it's pleasing to Christ. Therefore, obeying you is obeying Christ. If you ask them to do what is pleasing to the Lord, obviously. There's a caveat for the parents as well here. So to honor your parents is the most important way that children can honor the Lord. So if you've got a teenager, it's more important that they understand God's will for them is to honor their parents, not what their occupation is going to be or where to go to school. That is secondary. Beloved, in the Christian family, that is absolutely secondary. If their goal is not to honor Christ, not to honor the Lord, this phrase, and they just we tend to just hop, skip, jump over in the Lord and honoring Him and go to, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to school? What is my occupation? And we, we think of God's will this way, but it clearly God's will for our children is to obey us. Because we train them in the admonition of the Lord. Does that make sense? We kind of, kind of skip over that part, and we should never, ever do that. So if our children ever ask us, what's God's will for my life? It's right here. Go here. It's clear. It's an imperative. It's a command. There's no ands, if, or buts about it. Take it at face value. Honey, you would say to your daughter, to your son, right now in your life, because you're under my roof, God's will for you is to obey your mother and father. Clear. To listen to us. To take to heart what we tell you. Now, that puts a lot of burden on the parent, doesn't it? But what the parents share with their children must come from Scripture or, 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 or be influenced by Scripture, okay? And to be honest, you know what? Here's what we had to do often. You know, I can't find, go clean up your room in Scripture. <laughs> Don't argue with me there, okay? I agree with you, it's not there. But it's still what I desire for you to do. I'm not violating Scripture by asking you to clean your room, okay? 
but even though it's not there, it's what I want you to do. You know, at that point when they're arguing back and forth, if a daughter or a son is arguing with a parent, well, I don't want to do that, then what they're saying is, I want to be the parent of this house and do it my way. Listen, we're not their friends. We're their parents, we're their authority. And ultimately, it's by God's design. Amen? I would even say, do not even wonder or pray about God's will in any other area of life if you are not focused on honoring your parents. And I say that because of the next phrase, actually. Last phrase in verse 1, for this is right. The word means correct. It's the right way to live. It's the correct way for children to live with their parents in that context. It's acceptable. Now, I want to say this one more thing. Finally, from these first three verses, we got to know something. Parents, uh, you, you're not your child's parent by accident. This is by God's design. God, particularly and specifically, has given you your sons and daughters. This is not a random chance by any stretch. Not that at all. But he specifically wired you, wired your child, and put you together for a purpose. God's a God of purpose, right? And I really think that helps us in our approach to parenting, in our approach to child-rearing and reaching out to them. The parents, I would tell children, the parents you have are not perfect. They struggle as you do. But as a parent, I am the means. I am the prim- one of the primary means of grace by which God reaches out to you. It's through me, your dad. Through me, your mother. Not school. Not even the church. The church is just a supplement. Hopefully what you hear and what you see at church is a reflection of what you're giving your children at home and vice versa. Right? We're just reinforcing that in our fellowship and in what our children here. It is not the elder's responsibility. It's not the teacher's responsibility. They're not going to really, they're not going to answer for your children. You are. So we'll have to answer and how we led the parents, how we led the congregation in general, spiritually, in the preaching and teaching of God's word, like right now. But as far as, well, how did you train up so-and-so's child? I'm not going to hear that question from the Lord. He's going to say, were well, you faithful with my word? Not just from the pulpit, but in sitting down in discussion, talking with parents, so on and so forth. That brings us to the second point, verse 4. I'm going to spend most of our time here this morning in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is directed to the fathers. However, as I said a couple of times already, it does not exclude the mother. They too can bring a child to anger. Most likely, Paul's focus on the father here because he is the authority in the home, right? Under the headship of Christ, he is the authority in the home. Whether men, we like it or not, that's where we're at. That's where God places us. That's how he's wired us. It's his purpose in our lives with our wives and with our children. And so there we are. Another reason why is the husband. I mean, the father tends to push their children, encourage them. You could do better, right? You can see, we, that needs to come from us. They need to hear that. I, I think a good parallel passage with this distinguishing of the husband, excuse me, of the wife and the, and the father comes from Paul's understanding in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Let me just show you this for a moment. In verse 7, Paul here is taught, writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, I approached you like a mother would a child, in verse 7, and then later on in verse 11, I approached you as a father would. And he makes that distinction. Here's what he says. Verse 7, But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You see, you see that tenderliness there, okay? But you go to verse 11, just as you know how we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you, as a father would his own children. You see a father pushing their children. Come on, try harder. You can do better, right? Give it your all. Give it 110%. That's what men do. That's how he's wired us. And it's a very good thing. Challenging. That's a good word, right? So Paul views the, one of the dad's roles is to challenge their children. Not just doing things and occupation work around the house, but in spiritual matters, most importantly. So fathers, and it begins with a negative, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke to anger. And it means stop habitually, continually provoking them to anger. Stop it. In other words, Paul's addressing a condition that was actually going on with a lot of the families. Okay? He's saying, stop it. You're doing this. That's not good. Stop it. Avoid words. Avoid attitudes. Avoid actions which drive your children and incite them to anger towards you. Now, how do we do that? There's a number of ways. Here's a list of them. Are you ready? Overprotection. Favoritism. Pushing achievement beyond reasonable bounds. Never trusting them. Constantly questioning them. We can over-nag our children. Pushing them beyond their age. See, fathers, you know, deal with them as a six-year-old. Deal with them as a ten-year-old, not an 18, 19, or 20-year-old. You'll exasperate them and you'll cause them to get angry. Failing to understand them. Train up a child the way they should go. Means understand your child, how God wired them, and, and deal with them accordingly. Some children are very athletic. Some are very artsy. Okay, don't force them into the other mold. God has wired them a certain way. Deal with them accordingly. Failing to sacrifice for them. Making them feel unwanted. Using love as a reward for them, or only loving them when they do good. Do your child only feel love when they do right? How about humiliating them or embarrassing them in public? Not in private. I'm not saying in private. I do that all the time. <laughs> That's probably not very healthy either. <laughs> but humiliation and embarrassing them or severe discipline. Oh, you know, don't, don't spank them for a little fault. Okay? Don't overly do it. All of these things, and there's others, they build barriers and cause resentment over time in our children's lives. And so put off, in other words, Paul's saying, as he was saying in chapter 4, put off the old, put off provoking your children and replace it with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 4. What does that mean? Well, to bring them up means simply to nourish. Nourish them. Pr provide tender care for them. And notice it's, it's not just the mother's responsibility. The father needs to be tender. The father needs to display compassion, right? After all, he is the example of Christ. 
Lord, just pass on his tenderness, his compassion to our children. So, it's tender and tough, our love for our children, right? It's a dual, it's a a combination, it's it's both. And we need to be living close with Jesus if that is to be a good blend within our children's lives. One minute, we're going to be tough on them. Come on, you can do this, you can do that. I know you, I've seen you do better than this. I know you are lazy right now. You can do better than this. There's a correction. There's a toughness. There's an admonishment there. And then all of a sudden, a couple days later, you see them try their best, but it wasn't good enough. You pound on them. No. You come along tenderly and say, you know what? What you did wasn't perfect, but I noticed you tried your best, and I love that. I love you, babe. Right? So there's time to be tender. You know, when I look at this like a Jesus is how I want you to be with me. And I just want to pass that on and be that way with my kids. Right? So, to bring them up means to nourish, to provide tender care for their growth. Actually, parenting has growth in mind. We just want them to grow. Guess what? They're going to grow no matter if we want it or not. So let's go ahead and get involved in their growth and have them grow the right way, in the right direction. Okay? How about discipline? That simply means correction. Correcting a transgression, maybe when they disobey the household rules. Instruction means to admonish, a word of encouragement. Okay, It's not just pointing out what's wrong, but point out what's right and what's good. It's not just correcting for bad behavior, but reinforcing good behavior. If all you're doing is correcting bad behavior, not reinforcing good behavior, you're going to exasperate that child and, and over time building a resentment and an anger in their hearts that at first will be deep-seated, but eventually come out as they get older. I guess that's what some people say today, be positive. But yeah, in a sense, yes. Encourage good behavior. Reinforce it. Let me talk a moment about one word, the rod in, in Proverbs, because a lot of it's just fallen on deaf ears these days. Okay, It is a Hebrew word, and it is like six times mentioned in the book of Proverbs, and it's related, it's a word, the Hebrew word means pain. You've heard of spoil the rod, spoil the child, okay? What does that mean? Well, if you don't at times use pain in their life, you will spoil them. There's a time you use pain and a time not to, okay? When you turn to Proverbs, you can write this down, 1324. Proverbs 13, 24. Let me read this. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Okay? You get that? Proverbs 22, 15. You like to write that down? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And the Hebrew word rod literally means pain. And so God, when he created us, had a little cushion back here to receive some pain for correction. All right? I don't care what the world says. According to the word of God, there's times where it's very appropriate and it is a very good thing. Don't spank for every single little thing. That, again, will cause anger. That is wrong. That would be sinful on the parents if they do it for every little thing. Make sure that the punishment is equal to the crime, so to speak. Okay? All right, and here's another thing when you spank, it's important what you do before and after. Don't just look at the spanking moment, please don't. Let me encourage you strongly 
as a parent who worked hard through this issue and topic, scripturally and also personally, is just as important to what you do leading up to the spanking and after the spanking as just the spanking. If all you do is spank and you walk away, you have failed in that type of punishment or that type of correction. You sit them down. They don't wait too long because they're just going to be sweating knowing they're going to get a pop. And, you know, you don't do that. They're, you know what I mean? They know it's coming. If you talk over 15 minutes, they're like going, <laughs> you don't want to do that. But take a moment or two, take it a minute or two to sit down and explain with them. First of all, calm down yourself. Right? Right? But use, once you calm down, take a moment or two to explain to them what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing and then get it over with. Okay, so you don't want this to be drawn out. Then when it's done, don't walk away. Sit them down with a real little rub their butt. Okay, get rid of the pain a little bit. Done that myself. We did that. You know, they're, they're real little. Rub it because you know it hurts. You might have even been like me and said it hurts me just as much as you because they went a really little. You know what I mean? They don't understand that whatsoever. They're like, you don't have to want to get popped. That's beside the point. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but then sit them down and take a moment or two. Take a couple minutes and again, Let's talk about this and remind them, I love you. Don't just pop and walk away. Pop and say, we're done. Quick, it's over with. I know it was painful. I want you to know I love you. And, and the reason you got popped this time is because it's probably the third or fourth time I told you not to do this. And so I'm starting to take this as rebellion, and that's why I've gone to this degree. It's about I want you to know I love you. I'm doing this because... I, I, you are my child. No one else will do this. I, I want you. I, I want you to grow up. I want you to be beautiful in heart, in mind, in soul. And and by the way, God instructs me to do this in your life. Put the onus on God. Consider you obeying Him. Okay, does that make sense? Spend a little time there. Don't just do it and get it over with, and not talk about it with your child. That is more damaging, actually. Okay? However, the best way to understand this verse 4 is by looking at the one phrase at the very end of the Lord. Remember, verse 1 is in the Lord. Now we're of the Lord. Okay? We're just not going to jump over that and ignore that simple phrase because it actually just brings everything together. It simply means in association with or related to. So when you read verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means the discipline and instruction that are associated and related to Him. That's what it means. Does that make sense now? It reminds us where our authority comes from. Our authority comes from God. He's the one that gives it to us. It's vital that we understand that as a parent... We have no independent or autonomous authority. All authority has been given to us from our Heavenly Father, from the Creator. Which means this, we do not have the right to exercise authority or power in our children's lives any way we want. That's what that means. You just don't do it any way you want. It means we do it the way God wants. And that's what we've been learning. So that leads to number three. The best way to look at your authority as a parent is by looking at it as an ambassador. You're an ambassador. Where I read this word, ambassadorial authority. I got that from a Puritan. An ambassadorial authority. 
It means you represent Christ in your home. That's what parenting is. You are a representative. An ambassador is a representative. You are a representative of God. You have authority because only because God has given it to you. And you're his representative to your child, which he himself gave you. Okay? You see what's going on here? God's the designer. He's woven your family together. He has placed you together under that roof. And he has designed you and given you authority. He has given your child to you. And child, he has given his parents to you. This is all designed by God. And that's why I hang everything on these two phrases in verse 1, in the Lord. And in verse 4, of the Lord. It's those two phrases that brings the family unit into perspective. The parents and the children. If you take those two phrases out, we're not talking about the Christian family anymore. We're just talking about raising good moral kids. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. We're talking about training our children to be followers of Jesus Christ, modeled first and foremost by mom and by dad. What does this mean? It means this, that every time you exercise authority in your child's life, Listen to this. It is to be a beautiful picture of the authority of God in the life of his church. Do you ever think of it that way? Or in your life. You are to be the look of God's face to your children. The touch of his hands and the tone of his voice. Your parenting should be the picture of God in your life. How you deal with your children is how God deals with you. Man, that, that, that changes parenting, doesn't it? It totally changes the perspective of how you approach your children. This means you should not let anger control you with your children. You don't use words that berate them or demean them. God has it with you, right? Sometimes it means this, that in dealing with your children, you don't give them what they deserve. We... Every once in a while would do this. Our children knew when they were little now that they would get a spanking. That's what we call it, okay? If they did something rebellious wrong for the third, fourth, whatever time, okay? We knew that they really knew better, okay? And they just did it anyway, okay? And every once in a while, I'd bring her up to the cusp. I'd have a little something in my hand, a spoon, or even a little belt, okay? All right? And they know that they would deserve a spanking. And so I talk to him just like the regular routine kind of a thing uh, for a moment or so, and I look at him and say, you know what? I want to display the gospel to you of grace right now. You know right now you deserve a spanking. I'm going to show you mercy. Put it away. I love you. What is that a picture of? What Christ has done for us, isn't it? Don't do that unless you've been consistent first, okay? And don't do it all the time. It just ruins the whole principle, the whole point, okay? But it's a, it can be a good tool into displaying the gospel of grace. Amen? All right. I'm going to end with this. There's some principles here I want you to walk away with. And it has to do with, think of this, write this down. Parenting work is gospel work. Right? If you get nothing else up to this point, you know, it's kind of like days and whatever. It's a bit hard to follow. It probably is. I don't know why I'm just not feeling so up to par. Get this, parenting, parental authority, 
Parenting work is gospel work, and there's five practical principles. Number one, so I want to leave you with this. Number one, it involves helping them to understand why they do what they do. Not just you did wrong, but point out to them why you do wrong. It's not that you sinned and you disobeyed, but why are you always prone to disobey and sin? In other words, deal with the heart. Don't just correct them. Don't just point out that they've done wrong. Sit down, explain to them what's behind and underlying their actions. In other words, as Paul said earlier on in chapter 5, redeem the time. Spend time with your child. Talk their ear off. That's what they'll think you're doing. How many of you have all been through that? You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's a, well, that's a good thing. Okay? Help them to understand why they do what they do. But that takes time. Number two, establish authority early on in their lives when they're wee little. Begin to establish it early on when they're wee. Don't wait. You don't want to establish authority in a 17-year-old, do you? It ain't going to happen. Don't wait. Do it early on. Begin when the issues are small and little. Don't wait till they're huge and big at 17, 18. It's too late. Like, like what to wear and what to eat. What time are you supposed to go to bed? What to watch? Doing the chores. Start young. Dealing with those issues and talking about them. Use them to establish authority early on and use the little things when they are young. Number three, don't focus merely on the behavior. Please, don't do that. Focus on the attitude of the heart. We said that a little bit ago, but let me explain. We're not going for a uh, just a submission, just do it. We're going for a willing submission from the heart. We're going for joyful submission. Remember the illustration I gave of Ava? That's what we're talking about here. Go clean your room. The body's going through her room. It looks like she's obeying, but meanwhile, hi. Okay. So, so she's walking that direction. Her body's taking her to her room to do it, but her heart is what? Far away. Don't ever let her or your child, him, think for one moment that that is an act of obedience because it is not. They're just going through the motions. Okay? Remember, you're always dealing with what? Hearts. Okay? Yeah. She's going to her room. Her body's taking her there. But she's raging inside. <laughs> she's raging. At you. Because you're the one telling her what to do. Okay. I, 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 use this with them. Next time you sit down with them, say, hey, here's an illustration for you. I saw your body going this direction, but I know what's going on here and here, and you're going, uh-uh, I hate to imagine you. Use it with them. Talk to them about it. Okay? Okay. I'll belabor that point. Number four, exercise consistent authority. Be consistent. Uh, first of all, don't get tired. Persevere. Endure. Don't give up. Don't get tired of reinforcing and enforcing your rules. You know, though God loves us and has dispensed saving grace upon us, he never gives up with us. Philippians 1 6, you begun a good work in you will what continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. Have that attitude that he has towards us, towards your children. And second of all, exercising consistent authority means mom and dad are on the same page. Oh, kids, their hearts are so deceitful. 
that are desperately sick. They'll go, they'll come to me. Hey, can I do this? Knowing that mom would say no. They'll come to me who they think would probably say yes. Or vice versa, right? They know how to play the game. They know how to manipulate because they're sinners at heart. And you deal with that. Say, why did you go to mom instead of me? Why did you go to dad? Because you know I would say this, didn't you? Uh-huh. You're addressing the heart. You're addressing their reasoning. And their reasoning is, is backed up by sin. It's sinful reasoning because all they want to do is get their way. And if they can pin mom and dad against each other to get their way, they're going there. Oh, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? I know better than that. Fifth, use every, this is the most important, use every opportunity to talk about the cross of Christ. That's why it's so important to redeem the time. That's why it's so important in child rearing when you're in the moment, particularly if you're going to spank or put them in a corner or whatever form or method of discipline you use, you just don't focus on that moment. You, you use a few minutes before and a few minutes after because you're, you're really wanting to use that moment to, to point them to Christ, to talk about the cross of Christ. As Christian parents, all our efforts, all of our tears, all of our sweat, all of our time and conversation and instruction with our children Ultimately, it's for the purpose of pointing them to the hope and the help that is to be found in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally, in conclusion, this brings me to the most important passage of Scripture that has to do with parent, or parent, excuse me, parenting. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Go to all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's just not done out there. It's done in the four walls of your home. It's done with your children. You are the evangelist to your children. Right? You're the ambassador. You're the evangelist. Use every opportunity to talk about the cross of Christ. No, it does not mean, listen to me, listen to me very carefully. It does not mean your only responsibility you have is to get them to go forward and say a sinner's prayer. That's not what that, that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to make followers of Jesus Christ, teaching them to observe all that he has taught us. Right? To obey, to honor him. Okay? It's not just about getting them to say a sinner's prayer. Actually, when someone says the sinner's prayer, the real work really begins. The daily grind of being in the Word. The, the, the daily grind of, of, of training and disciplining and encouraging, right? But you want them to be followers of Christ. That means teaching them, training them, correcting them, admonishing them, forgiving them, being patient with them, being tender towards them, spending hours with them, conversing with them, so that they will give their lives over to Jesus Christ. I'm going to conclude with a verse out of 2 Corinthians 5, 15. It means our children come will come to know that, quote, he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. End of quote. That comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 15. The goal of parenting is to teach our children and to bring them to the point where they are no longer living for themselves, but the one who lived and died on their behalf.
That's why parenting is gospel work. Let's pray. You've been very patient this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, thank you for this time together. Fathers, parents who kids have grown up to be grandparents and encourage our children with their children. But Lord God, we also have families here with young ones. God, give them the grace, give them the strength to follow through with these wonderful words of life, with these principles and these truths that are embedded in your word, that between Sundays, gospel living is going on in these homes. They're going on in my home. Between not just parents and their children, but husband and wife, the whole family unit, living for Christ the way you call us to. God, teach us, show us how the gospel, how you, Jesus, how your, your life and your work permeates and is to penetrate every aspect of our lives. Every relationship we have, may we show forth the greatness and the splendor and the glory and the majesty and the love and the purity of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.